Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. We have uh, been exposed in, in the book of 1 Peter to a theme that isn't uh, something that we think about a lot. We're talking persecution, we're talking suffering. The book of 1 Peter talks about how Christians need to respond to persecution and suffering. And, and again, that's something, I don't know about you, but, but many of the Christians I know have never been persecuted. They've never suffered for their faith. They've never been put in a position of, of great suffering or trial. Maybe some of you have. Maybe when you came to Christ, your family was troubled by you becoming a Christian. Maybe when you came to Christ, maybe some of your co-workers were, were troubled by that and they gave you a hard time. I don't know. Maybe some of you have been persecuted. But the, the experience of most Americans is we don't really deal with suffering because we follow Jesus Christ. We suffer in other ways. We all suffer loss, loss of loved ones, sickness, different things like that. We suffer. You know what it is to suffer, but many of us don't suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. I think uh, just watching the state of the world, watching the way things are going in this world, I think that's going to change for us. Now, persecution is a big word. Persecution is, you know, like our brothers in Nigeria, our brothers in Pakistan, our brothers and sisters in China, you know, different places. They know what it means to suffer. They know what it means to go through trials and tribulations for the Lord Jesus Christ. But I do think the way that our culture is changing, society is changing, and even our governments are changing perspective on things, that there will be a day when we Christians in this country will have to decide if we're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ or, or we're going to, you know, give in to persecution. Uh, I, I, this last week I read through the book of Judges and, and I was struck by, at the beginning of Judges in chapter 2, it says, after Joshua died, there was a whole generation that arose and, and they didn't know the Lord. They didn't know the Lord. They didn't know the Lord's ways. And, and that's true of every generation, but it's talking about people in their 20s and 30s and 40s that didn't know the Lord anymore. And they walked away from the God of Israel. They walked away from their Savior, from Yahweh. At the end of the book of Judges, it says that they had no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Isn't that the way to describe our culture right now? Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. There isn't an absolute truth. There isn't a God to follow. Everyone's doing what they want to do in their own ways, in their own, their own uh, belief systems, in their own ways of, of living life to the full as they understand it. We are in a season now where the former Faithful generations are passing away. Those who have walked with the Lord Jesus Christ, who have given everything to the Lord Jesus Christ, who have made them uh, the Lord Jesus their God. They, you know, the faithful generations are passing away. I'm thankful for young people. If you're, you're a young person here today and you are following Jesus, I'm so thankful for you. That you've made your stand, that you're walking with the Lord and you're not backing down. But the, the generations, the younger generations now, that's not indicative of most of the younger generation. They have a spirituality about them. They want to do what's right in some senses, but it's in their own senses. They don't know the Lord. They don't. And so we're, we're coming to a time where I think the, as those, those generations take power, they come into office, they come into places of authority, they're going to have a real hard time with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ calls people to repent of their sins. The gospel of Jesus Christ exposes sin. The gospel of Jesus Christ says there is an absolute truth. There is a God that you need to follow. There is a God that you answer to. And you can't live any which way you want in God's world, in God's kingdom. 
And, and so we, we're coming to that point where, where we, we used to live in this culture uh, kind of the, on the fumes of Christianity, right? The values of our forefathers, uh, the Christian nation that was built, right? The, the values that were there for so long, the new generations, it's, it's just not there anymore at this point. Now, we pray for a revival of the, of the, the backslidden Christians, of the Christians that, that have kind of fallen away. We pray for people to come to Christ, to be saved, of course, and may, maybe, maybe there's going to be a, a great revival in our college campus in, in the near future. That would be awesome. A great revival in our high schools in the valley here. That would be wonderful. Let's pray for that. But really, I think we're heading towards a time where the values of the dominant culture are going to clash with the values of Jesus Christ. And, and uh, there's going to come a time where maybe the culture is going to say, you can't say those things anymore, preacher. You can't share the gospel anymore. You can't tell those truths because they're, they're offensive. They're hate speech or however they might term it. And so uh, we come to 1 Peter. That's one of the reasons we picked 1 Peter to preach during this coming out of this election cycle is that we would be aware of what God's Word says about how to prepare for persecution, how to prepare for suffering, how to prepare for trial. Now, I, I can't see around the corner. I can't see in the future. I, you know, you're just looking at things and you're seeing things as they come together. And yeah, it's very possible. So I'm asking the question, how do we prepare? How do we get ready for trial and tribulation coming our way because we're Christians, because we follow Jesus Christ? And 1 Peter is a great book. Uh, he speaks to the people in his day. I think that Peter is, is coming to an awareness. You know, just there's some hints in the scripture there. Uh, Nero, Emperor Nero is on the throne, and he hasn't maybe reached his, his high point of mental illness or his high point of hating Christians and destroying Christians, but I think Peter knows it's coming, so he's getting his people ready. They're already going through fiery trials. They're already going through tribulations, but he wants to speak to them. How do you get ready? How do you live in a time of persecution and trial? And so that's what we're going to look at today. Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. Now, I, I don't know that I've never preached through this passage before, so it's been really interesting to study it and get into it. Uh, it there's some challenging things here, but I, I do pray that you would open your life up to God, how would you have me live? How would you have me act? How would you have me be your follower through this scripture? So chapter 4, verse 1. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. And please pause there. 
So that, that first uh, verse there, that, that first start, it's, it's, I don't know how many different translations we have in the house today, whether it's ESV, New American Standard, NIV, you know, Christian Education, uh, <laughs> Version, <laughs> uh, the, the different versions, but it's, it's remarkable uh, the way they all translate this a little bit different. And, and so it tells us that Peter's, Peter's uh, what he's trying to get across is a little bit confusing for the translators. But you see in, in verse 1, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, that's clear. He's been talking about throughout, through, the, through, the, through the book. Christ suffered in the flesh. And, and so he's, he's using that as an example. Look to Christ. What, what happened with him? He suffered because he followed God. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Now some of your translations say arm yourselves with the same perspective some of your translations say, arm yourself with the same purpose. Um, some, some say, arm yourself with the same attitude. Okay? So there's different ways there to, to look at it, but the, the point is clear. Peter is writing to people who are suffering, and more suffering is coming. He's writing to people who are going to be persecuted, more persecution is suffering. So he's saying, hey, arm yourselves. Put on the armor, is, is the imagery there. Put on the armor of the attitude of Christ. Of the perspective of Christ, in the ESV it says the thinking of Christ. Start thinking like Jesus Christ thought. Now what's, what's interesting for me as I studied this week, he doesn't tell us what that is. <laughs> it's like he assumes we know. Okay, what, what is the thinking of Christ? How did, what was Christ's perspective as he walked the earth? What was Jesus' pers- pers- perspective, his attitude as he you know, lived for 30-some years, and he was marching to the cross. What was his thinking? What was his attitude? We, we need to learn that, what, what that is. The outcome is that, in verse 2, so that we will do the will of God. Okay, Peter doesn't mince any words there. He wants us to do the will of God. But what's the thinking that gets behind that? What's the thinking that leads us there? Uh, I want to take you back to a time in Peter's life where he learned something from Jesus, like, uh, he's writing this, this book some 30 years after he walked with Jesus, before Jesus was crucified and resurrected and ascended to heaven. So if you turn back to, to Matthew chapter 16, I think it, it gets at what Jesus' thinking was and gets at, at what Jesus' attitude was. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, please. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. We are called to have the attitude of Jesus, to arm ourselves with Adopt the attitude of Jesus. Before we get to verse 21, uh, Jesus, in, in the context, if you remember, Jesus, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And you know, the, the world says this about me, the world says that about me, but Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior. You're the, you're the anointed one that God promised and, and God was being about. And Jesus is like, yeah. You know, uh, but, but then we get down to verse 21. And here comes a shocking kind of a, uh, 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 an idea for Peter. He wasn't expecting this. He had an idea of, of the Christ being this or that, and, and Jesus kind of rocks his world here. From that time on, Jesus began to show disciples, his disciples, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And, and Peter took him aside. He began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind, your thinking, on the things of God, but on the things of men. So Peter, we we think he has this, 
His, this, this understanding, like the rest of the Jewish people, that Christ is going to come, he's going to take the throne, everyone's going to obey him, everyone's going to you know, follow him, he's going to live in glory, and Peter you know, is his right-hand man. Peter's probably thinking, man, when Jesus takes the throne in Jerusalem, I'm going to have a high position. You know, we don't know for sure, but I'm going to have some of the other disciples were, were talking amongst themselves, you know, what is Jesus going to do for you in the kingdom? What's Jesus going to do for you in the kingdom? So King, I think Peter's thinking, man, Jesus, he's going to have this great life. He's going to have this great future, and I'm going to have a great future too. And Jesus, like, sh- shatters that idea when he says, yeah, here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to Jerusalem, and they're going to slaughter me there. They're going to beat me there. They're going to destroy me there. They're going to ruin me there. They're going to put me to death. And that wasn't on Peter's agenda. That wasn't on Peter's plan for Jesus' life. He, did, he didn't see that one coming. But Jesus' thinking was different than Peter's. Peter's thinking was a worldly thinking, a, 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 a sense of achievement and a sense of growth and a sense of, of, of getting up there high in people's sight. Jesus says, you know, my thinking is a little bit different than that. I'm following the Father. I'm living for God. You know, Jesus, throughout the Gospel of John, you see it again, I watch the Father and whatever He does, I do. I'm on mission with the Father. I'm living for His glory. His thinking is to live for God. How do we prepare for trial or suffering or persecution? The Word says we should adopt the same attitude as Jesus. We should adopt the same thinking as Jesus. We need to choose to live for God. We need to choose right now before suffering comes, before trial comes. We need to choose to live for Christ now. You see, if you haven't made that decision, if you haven't repented of your sins, you haven't turned your life over to Christ, you haven't trusted Him, you haven't surrendered your life, you haven't given your life, you haven't said, I belong to Jesus, He's my Lord, then when suffering or trial or pressure comes, I tell you what, you're going to be wishy-washy. You know, once you get into a situation, sometimes when you're under pressure, it's hard to make the right decision. And, and you know that from life experiences. You know, someone offers to, to sell you something and, and you haven't thought about it beforehand or you have to make an on-spot decision. It's hard. It's so important to choose before the event comes which way you're going to go. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you decided to live for God? today. Uh, The thinking that Peter calls us to is the thinking of Jesus, which is the thinking of, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's the thinking that whatever comes, I've drawn a line in the sand, whatever comes, I'm going to live for my Christ. I'm going to live for my Messiah. I'm going to live for my Lord. That's the attitude of Jesus that we're supposed to arm ourselves with. Now, there, again, man, I was looking at some of my favorite commentators this week, and they were all over the map. They were confused about what Peter was saying. Uh, there, wasn't, there was no unanimity about their interpretation, but it says, arm yourself with the same way of thinking, especially in this, this verse here, for what, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And we know Jesus, once, you know, once he never sinned, but once he died, he, was, he wasn't tempted anymore. And our Lord Jesus, man, he was tempted more, more than any of us ever were. And see, we, we, we're tempted and we give in to sin in a short time sometimes. 
right? But Jesus was tempted his whole life, and he never gave in to sin. How awesome is that? How incredible our Lord Jesus was in that sense. But we know that once he died, he wasn't facing sin anymore. And once we die, we're not going to face temptation and sin anymore. Okay, that makes sense, but the application to us, I, I think what it means, and again, the, the different pastors I read, the different uh, professors I read, they were all over the map here, but it, it seems like, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of their time in the flesh, no longer for human passion, but for the will of God. There's this sense of, you make your decision beforehand. I'm going with Jesus no matter what. You make your decision beforehand. I'm going to walk with my God even if pressure comes, even if the government says stop, even if family members accuse or tear apart or destroy. You make your decision beforehand. You say, if suffering comes, I'm going through it with Jesus. You are free. That decision made beforehand, like you determine beforehand which way you're going to go. When the pressure comes, when persecution comes, when trials come, you're going to be able to say, hey, you know, you're telling me I can't preach Jesus anymore. You're telling me I can't preach a certain ethic anymore. I can't, I can't say certain things. It's okay. I've already made my decision. I'm going with the Lord. I'm going to live for Christ. Do what you want. It's like, I'm good. I'm not controlled by the temptation, in other words. I'm not controlled by the pressure they put upon me anymore. I'm free. I've already made my decision to live for Christ. Have you made your decision Whatever the world says, whatever the world commands you to do, whatever the world you know, uh, stuffs down your throat, you say, nope, I'm going with God. I've got the same attitude of Christ. I'm going to live for Him. Suffering comes, persecution comes, lies come, slander comes, maligning comes. I'm going with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and I can't tell you what it, what exactly what it means to live for Christ. You're in a different setting than I am. You work in a different job than I do. You have a different family situation. You know, you have a different social economic status than I do. You know, so you're going to have to work that your, yourself out, what it means to live for Jesus. But have you decided that you're going with Jesus no matter what? Or are you still on the fence? And I, and I tell you again, if you're still on the fence, if you haven't made that decision for Christ, that He's your Lord, in the moment, it's going to be much harder to decide. You could more easily capitulate, you could more, more easily fall into sin if you haven't made up your mind. So I urge you to make up your mind so that the rest of the time in the body, in the flesh, you're not living for human passions, but you're living the will of God. Now the will of God, what is that? It's God's commands. Uh, we're called to be obedient to Jesus. Obedient to God's commands. We're called to live for Him in all kinds of settings, in your marriage, in your business, in your family, in the different environments. You're called to do the will of God. God has blessed us with instruction. God has blessed us with so many ways of how to live in His world to please Him. You've got to make the decision first, and then you apply what that looks like in your normal life, your daily life. I'm, I'm worried that some of us have this compartmentalization in our life. Like we can follow Jesus in certain ways, but there's other parts of our life we've cordoned off from Christ. We've cordoned off from God and said, no, you can't touch me there, I'm not going to follow you there. Maybe it's in your business life, maybe it's in your financial life, maybe it's in your sexual life, I don't know. But you're supposed to, as, as a Christian, bring any, everything under the reign of the King, your whole life under the reign of the Lord, and say, yes, as for me and my house, we're going to follow the Lord. Lead on, O King, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Whatever you say, Lord. Yes, sir, and amen. <clears throat> 
Peter brings this out in the next verse, in verse 3. He, he, he calls us to live the will of God, to say yes to Christ, to obey Christ. And he calls us to live the will of God in verse 2, but probably the most unique, uh, I don't know if this is anywhere else in the Bible, but verse 3, it's kind of like Peter said, Peter saying, you've already reached your quota of sin. You've already done enough sinning. Don't do it anymore. Verse 3, for the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. <laughs> Peter knows how his, his people he's writing to grew up. They grew up in paganism. They grew up in, in worldly ways. They grew up in, in uh, religions that were, from our perspective, godless, uh, not holy, not righteous. He knew they, they grew up in sexual immorality. Uh, uh, so much of our culture is growing up now. He knew that they were going to be uh, you know, tempted to go back to that. And he says, no, you guys have already sinned enough in the past. <laughs> now that you've decided to live for Christ, live for Christ. You, you experienced all that junk in the past. You, you know what that's like. You've already done enough. Stop it. And uh, I, I was really interested as I was reading this week. It came to me like during the pandemic the last year. What, what sins have people fallen into a lot? Uh, this last year, during the isolation, during the stress, during the anxiety of what's happening. Boy, I, uh, over abuse, uh, excess use of alcohol has really shot through the roof in our culture. Now, uh, we're free as Christians to, to use alcohol, but we don't have to. <laughs> our current culture celebrates alcohol all the time. Another bar, another bar, another business selling alcohol. We don't have to live that way. We can, we're free to, but we don't have to go there. But unfortunately, our, our culture has gone overboard where people have little bars in their houses. They have little, you know, mixing stations. And in Christianity, sometimes this is becoming the norm in the house. You don't have to go to a bar anymore. You just mix your own stuff now. And unfortunately, people are overindulging. People are falling in the traps. People are getting addicted to these things. They come to rely on alcohol, come to live for alcohol instead of you know, just enjoying it once in a while. Kind of a deal. Same with pornography in the, in the, in the, uh, in the pandemic. Man, that's through the roof. Male, female, just in the loneliness and isolation. I, I'm lonely, I'm afraid, anxiety. Push a button. Oh, you just escape and you just get out there. Interesting, just how those, those, those you know, in our, in our world that way, those idolatries, those, those actions, 2,000 years ago, that's where people would run to as well. You know, three, you know the sensuality, passions, orgies, sexual uh, expressions, ungodliness, sexual immorality, but always tied with drinking and alcoholism. What a mix. Uh, lawless idolatry, even their religion, they got uh, sexuality and, and alcohol involved oftentimes. It led to a lot of broken lives. You know, if, it, if no one's ever told you, you don't have to drink alcohol. <laughs> if no one's ever told you, you don't have to uh, indulge in pornography. You don't have to live sexually immoral lives. If no one's ever told you that, I'm telling you now. You know, I, I, I grew up in a family of alcoholics, and I haven't had a, any alcohol in 10 years. It's okay. You can live that way. You can be free of that. And if no one's told you, it's time to come out of that. If you're, if you're struggling with alcohol right now, if you're struggling with pornography, leave it. By the power of Jesus, by the, the power of the Spirit of God, by the help of a church, by the help of a community that will love you through thick and thin, come and be free from these things.
That's, that's kind of Peter's message. Choose to live for Christ and don't sin in the ways the world does anymore. You've already done enough of that in the past. Now live for Christ. Do the will of God. How do you stand? And, and, and back to our, our question. If persecution comes, if, if trials come, if we're given a, being treated in a hard way by our culture, you know, they're, they're calling us to conform to an ungodly standard, how do we live? We've already made our decision to live for Christ. And we're free. We don't, we don't have to live in the ways they do. We don't have to give in to temptation and evil the way they do. Are we going to be perfect in this? <laughs> Are we going to be perfect in this? No. Are we going to make mistakes? Yes. But that's the grace of God. He calls us forth to live righteous and holy lives to the best of our ability, to His glory and His honor and His fame. Now, what happens? You try to leave. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood. I love the imagery. You, have you ever been in a flood before? Like imagine a dam breaking. A flood of debauchery. Debauchery, wickedness. Man, the debauchery, the wickedness of our world right now, people are engaging in that and living in that in, in ways that are just overwhelming sometimes. Flood of debauchery. And, and, and you say, no, I'm not going to live that way. I, I'm not going to go that way. I, I, I've stopped living that way. What are they going to think? Well, their consciousness will kick in. Maybe the Holy Spirit will convict them. And they're going to say, you're saying that I'm living wrong? You're saying that I'm living an evil way? That's going to offend them. Uh, I, I remember, um, and, and what are they going to do if they're offended? <laughs> if, if, if the Spirit of God doesn't take over, if they don't repent, if they don't turn around, they're going to get angry. And they're going to get, hey, who do you think you are, you Bible thumper? What do you think you're doing? Who do you think you're better than me? You know, blah, you know just the, run down that road. But as we live righteous and holy lives in a culture that is living in a flood of debauchery, we're going to stand out, we're going to stick out, and sometimes... They're going to say, hey, who do you think you are? They're, they're going to push back because they're convicted of their wickedness. They're convicted of their sin. Especially if we're sharing the gospel, the truth of God. I, I just need to tell you, a few weeks ago I shared about when I was a, a young man. I, I'd come to Christ. I'd come back from the Navy. And, and I'd made some decisions. I'd made some decisions to live for Christ. And, and it was going well. I was working in a restaurant. I told you about some of the restaurants I worked in. You know, the, the, uh, the heterosexuals, as they define, define themselves, and the homosexuals, as they define themselves. Some of the restaurants I was in, man, it was people sleeping around all over the place, bragging about their sexual morality. And, and uh, you know, I, I look back, and I was thinking this week, why was I never persecuted by those folks? Um, why, 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 why did, you know, I was on the same softball team as some of those folks, and, and I never said, hey, hey, Tim, you know, you sleeping with another guy, you know, God's not going to be happy with that. Or, 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 or uh, Shelly, you know, you sleeping around with some of the guys on the team, you know, God's not going to be happy with that. Do you, uh, do you realize that God wants sex for marriage only? I wonder why I was never, per you, know what, you know why I was never persecuted? Because I never said anything. <laughs> I was so shy. I, uh, I, you know, I, I played softball with them. I hung out with them. I was a single guy at that time. And I, I just, I thought they knew, but I, I never said anything. So, of course... I never, I never got in their grill. I never got in their face. I never, I never challenged them in things. And, and you, know, you know, I think why I never did, because I didn't love them. You know, I, I was still a pretty selfish man at that point. I was, I was still a pretty selfish, you know, I'd come to Christ. I was starting to live for Christ, but, but I didn't get it. I didn't get the gospel. I didn't get the idea of, and I love this person enough that I'm going to help them 
live a better life. I'm gonna, I love this person enough that I, I can't stand to see them stand before God and, and be condemned for their sins. I want them to be set free. I, I never got to that point. I didn't have love, and so I never spoke. And maybe, maybe in your life, maybe you've never been persecuted because you've never spoke the gospel. You've never spoke truth. You never, you never cared about someone enough to say, you know what, God calls that a sin. I'm not being a preacher here at you. You can say that. You're not like the, I'm not like the guy Sunday morning that preaches at me, but I, maybe you've never been persecuted because you never said to somebody, you know what, I, I, I see how you're living, and you know that God's going to judge that as sin, and I, I call you to change your life, I call you to repent, because I, I don't want to see you go to hell. Maybe we've never been persecuted because we've never gone there. Like, like you know, my, my 22, 23-year-old self, I never went there because I frankly didn't love people. So I was never persecuted. But you know what happens, right? They're going to malign you. But they, give, they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The reality is that all of us will be judged by God. As Christians, we're not going to be judged for our sins anymore because Jesus paid the price in full. Uh, we've been justified in Christ through our faith in Christ. We've been declared righteous. We won't pay for our sins, but we're certainly going to be uh, judged by God by, by, by how we live this life based on you know, the rewards that we'll get, et cetera, et cetera. But the non-Christian, man, they're going to be judged by God for the way they live. They're going to be held accountable for their sins. And they're going to be condemned for their sins. It's just the way it is. And so Peter, in verse 6, this is a confusing verse. For this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead. Now, is, he, is Peter saying, like, the gospel, people that die get a second chance? No, that's not what he's saying. He's, he's looking back and he's saying, Christians... Who, who came to faith, the gospel was preached to them while they were alive. And they came to faith and they were saved. Okay? That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. And so he's responding like, some of the non-Christians will say, well, you die just the way I die. We're all going to end up in the ground. And that's true. But Peter says, no, like, so the people that are now dead, they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are now dead. They heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They trusted in Christ. And now they live in the Spirit. Now they're alive in God. Praise God. And so if, if there's anybody here today who's not a Christian, anybody who hasn't trusted in Jesus, the gospel goes to you. You're a sinner. You need to repent before you die because if you die without forgiveness of sins, without meeting Jesus, coming to faith in Christ, you will be condemned for your sins and you will not be with God in heaven. So the gospel says to you, God so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So please, if you're here today and you haven't given your life to Christ, if you haven't repented of your sins and trusted in Christ alone, do so today. Turn to the Lord and be saved even today. And you will have eternal life in the Spirit as those that Peter is speaking of. So the first thing, the first point that he makes in this passage is how do you prepare for suffering? How do you prepare for persecution that's coming? You decide to live for Jesus. If you know you, if you're living for Jesus, if you're serving Jesus, man, persecution comes. Hey, they're going to put you in jail for that. It's okay uh, if they put me in jail for that because I've decided who I'm going to live for. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to honor Jesus wherever I go. Right? The second point that he makes, look at verses 7 through 11. Now, there's, there's, 
There's different ways to break this up, but the first one, decide to live for Jesus. And the second one, live in view of the end. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of, the God, of, of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I love the end of that. He mentions Jesus Christ and he goes right into a doxology. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> Peter says, how do you prepare for persecution? How do you prepare for suffering? He's getting his churches ready. He's getting us ready. God is getting us ready. <clears throat> you live with a view to the end. You know that God is coming back. You know that Jesus Christ is coming back. And you live like that's real. Now, uh, the end. What does it mean, the end? Realize the Bible is a story, a, an account, uh, a way of telling us of God's redemption. God has been working through, through time and space and history to redeem the world, to redeem creation, to save people. The story of redemption, God coming into the world and saving and redeeming and rescuing, reconciling us to God. It's an awesome, awesome thing that God has done. There's a timeline, there, there's history, there, there's a, a, a God is moving this world towards an end goal, an end state. He's moving the world. The end is coming in the sense that God is going to set up His kingdom upon the earth. So we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're pleading with God, come back, come and reign, come and rule over the earth, come and reign, come and rule over us. That's the Bible story, that's the Bible. There's an end point, the linear end point where God comes and he does reign. So Christians have a different idea how this is going to happen. Some think it could come at any time, a thief in the night, he could show up, judge the world, Bless people, raise people from the dead, and set up his kingdom. Others, other Christians see it happening over a long period of time, a process, you know, a, a rapture, a tribulation, a coming of Christ, a millennium, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And there's different views beyond that. But the end is coming. Jesus is coming back. Let's live with the view that Jesus is coming back. What does that look like? What does an end time ethic look like? What, what, and it's fascinating. It's not what we expect. Because if you start reading these, these verses we just read again, prayer, love, hospitality, using your spiritual gifts, what's that about? To live the way that God wants us to live, with a view to the end, is to live like Jesus Christ. We make up our mind to, to live, to follow God, and we make up our mind to live like Jesus would if he was in our place. And again, Peter needed some education here, and there's so many, so many parables, so many things to look at here. But if you look with me to uh, Luke chapter 12, just a, another point where Peter got some education before you know, he's writing from wisdom and discernment by the power of the Spirit in 1 Peter, but like 30 years ago, he, he learned some things. Chapter 12 of Luke, verse 35. Chapter 12 of Luke, verse 35. Peter and the apostles are present, and, and Jesus is telling parables. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from, from the wedding feast, 
so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes back and knocks. So the imagery is of a, of a wedding. The, the, the bridegroom has gone away. He's returning for his bride. The servants are waiting to, to, to let him in, perhaps. That's one way of looking at it. But it's, he's talking about servants being ready. Are they ready when he knocks? Are they ready when he shows up? What does readiness look like? Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. <laughs> Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service, and, and they, will, they will recline at the table, they will serve, and, and, and they will come and serve him, the, the visitors, the guests. He, if he comes in the second watch or the third or finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Like uh, the servants are to serve until the master comes home. The servants are to serve until the master comes back. They're ready to serve. Blessed are they, those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known one hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house broken into. Like, for instance, homeowners, you know a thief's coming to your, 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 your door at 2 o'clock or he's going to try to break in at 2 o'clock, you're going to be ready. You're going to be ready for that. So he uses that and says, be servants who are ready. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. The Son of Man is coming back. Jesus is coming back. We're to live in view of the end. We're to live in a view of an end time ethic, knowing that Jesus could come back at any time. Are we ready? What, is ready? what does ready mean? Peter learned through this parable and other parables that Jesus has called us to be servants until the end. As He served us, we are to serve the body of Christ. We are to serve one another. The readiness, the end time ethic, is to live as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 8, or verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. You know, Jesus' parable, be ready for the master's return. He could come back at any time. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be controlled and sober-minded for the sake of of your prayers. How do we get ready for persecution? How do we live through persecution and trial? We pray. This, this understanding here of self-controlled and sober-minded, like don't be drunk in your mind. Don't be like, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Like everything's falling apart. Persecution's coming. Evil's coming. What are we going to do? He says, be self-controlled and sober-minded and pray. Pray for one another during persecution. We start now by praying for one another. Praying for one another's you know, safety and health and, and praying, for, praying for one another's businesses and families and marriages. Praying for one another. We start by living this ethic. This end time ethic is an ethic of service. Of giving our lives away for our brothers and sisters. Uh, how do we prepare for, for the, the, you know, someone sending me to jail? Well, I say I've decided to live for Jesus, and you know what? If I go to jail, I'll, I'll have a lot of time to pray. I'll have a lot of time to serve people. And I don't care what happens. I don't care if I'm abused. I don't care if I'm beaten up because I've already decided who I'm going to live for, and he's in control of my days. Above all, verse 8, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. Uh, again, what's the end time ethic? How should we live if persecution comes? We should love one another. How do you prepare for persecution? How do you prepare for suffering? You learn to take care of one another. Now, during time of persecution, it's stressful. So-and-so got their house taken away. So-and-so lost their job. 
How do we handle that as a church? Well, I invite you over to my house. I feed you. I, I, I do what it says there. I, I show hospitality without grumbling. And it's a beautiful thing that Peter's setting the church up for. This is, this is how you live. This is a normal Christian life. Persecution, trial, suffering comes. We live together as a body of Christ. We make sure that we're fed. We make sure that we're taken care of. We make sure that we're one. Um, you know what? If, if you're isolated, if you're alone in your Christian life, you're going to get attacked. And you're not going to be able to stand alone. God has given you the church. God has given you the church, the body of Christ, to stand together with the brethren. Stand together as one man, standing for the honor of Christ. You get alone, you get isolated, you're going to get picked off, certainly in the times of persecution, certainly in the times of evil times coming. You have been given a church. Are you living in the church? Are you living with the church? Are you loving one another earnestly? That word earnestly, some of your translations say deeply. It's like an athlete who's straining earnestly. A deep love is somebody who's straining to serve, straining to win the prize. That strain, that love, it's hard to love. Especially hard to love some of you people. Just kidding. <laughs> right? It, it, it's, it's hard to love. That's why that proverb at the end, love covers a multitude of sins. Like some of you are like, oh, that Pastor Drawn, I just can't, I can't, I can't stand him sometimes. Man, Pastor Drawn just turns my crank. And, but that proverb says, you know that love covers a multitude of sins? We all, all have certain idiosyncrasies. We all have certain flaws and foibles and, and ways of living that are, are, are hard sometimes. We're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to irritate one another. We're going to chafe one another. Just our personalities are different. You're type A. I'm type E. Whatever. <laughs> right? But love, this decision to love, it covers over that stuff and it holds us together. Now, love covers over a multitude of sins. It doesn't mean we condone sin. It doesn't mean we wink at sin. We don't let each other be abused by sin. We call it out. We, we exercise church discipline. But love covers. Love brings together. Love holds together. You know, I'm going to irritate you. Will you still love me as a part of this body of Christ? You're going to irritate me. I'm going to love you in Jesus' name. For your benefit, my benefit, but God's glory. So hospitality without grumbling. Hey, uh, man, come over and stay at my house. And then the third day, man, I wish they'd leave already. <laughs> Left the toilet seat up again. You're a slob. Right? Without grumbling. It's like this, this, this idea of living as a body of Christ where we know we're broken people. Let's live together. We know we're messed up people. We don't have it all together. But let's share life together. This is an end-time ethic. This is, this is living until Jesus comes back. This, this is real stuff. Use your spiritual gifts. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As God's stewards of, God, of, of God's very grace, God's grace comes upon every Christian. God gives you a spiritual gift, an empowerment of the Spirit for blessing and serving others. It's a varied grace. Your gifts are different than mine. You might have three gifts. I might have four gifts, but they might be different. We're to use them. Oh, how sad for the church if people's gifts are left on the shelf. How sad for the church when people aren't using the ministry empowerment that God has given them and that God will work through them. Brothers and sisters, we're called to serve one another in love, using the grace of God that He's given us, empowered us with. 
There's, he talks about speaking gifts. He talks about serving gifts. There's a whole lineup. Maybe, maybe it's coming from Acts 6 where the apostles had speaking gifts and there's certain things there. The deacons had serving gifts, certain things there. We all have different ways of serving. Do it for God's glory. End time ethic. And you see what's happening here. He's speaking to churches that are going through trials and tribulations. They don't know when Jesus is coming back. He's saying until Jesus comes back, when evil comes your way, when the darkness of culture keeps knocking at your door, love one another through it. Be together through it. Man, if you're alone today, don't be. If you're a Christian, don't be this lone ranger, isolated Christian who's out there for the lion to devour. Make sure you're part of the body of Christ. This is how you're called to live. That's why God's given you brothers and sisters. To love through it. Now, have you, you've been around people that just imbibe Scripture and, and the, they, they, they understand the Word of God and, and it's just part and parcel of who they are. That's who Peter is. So as I, as I was looking at this this week, you know, verses 1 through 6, it's about this, this I'm going to live for God. In verses 7 through 11, I'm going to live for people. You start thinking about that when they ask Jesus, what's the greatest command? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In verses 1 through 6, we have this calling by Peter, how to live in, end time, how to live in the world of persecution. You love God first. You live for God. And how do you live in an end time ethic? How do you live when persecution and trial comes? Man, you should be living a love for one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Brothers and sisters, Are we living in a worldly pattern? Are we living in a Christ-like pattern? Now you go around, you go around in, in the community and you say, hey, the world's coming to an end. What are you going to do with your last days? Man, people are going to pull out their bucket list. Well, I'm going to go see these sites. I'm going to go eat this food. I'm going to live this way. I'm going to indulge until the end. But the Christian way is, man, the world's coming to an end. Jesus is coming back. I'm going to live for God and I'm going to live for the benefit of others. You see, in, in this time when we haven't been persecuted, when we haven't suffered, we, we haven't learned the habits of living together and sacrificing from one another. We better learn it before the end comes. We better learn it before dark days arrive. Our brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing those dark days, but they're standing, they're abiding, they're standing strong in their faith because they're living for God and they're loving one another during the persecution that's our calling, brothers. I, I would challenge you, again, dive, dive into relationship with other Christians. Open your home. Be a part of the body of Christ. The culture says, work, work, work till you drop. Work, work, work. Build up your kingdom. Build up your assets. Build up your world. Live selfishly and self-centeredly. The gospel says, live together in Jesus' name. Support one another. Love one another. Be there for one another and live the blessed life that you've been called to live until the kingdom comes. Have you decided to live for Jesus? Have you decided to live with the body of Christ as a servant of Jesus? If you haven't, I call you to process and ponder and make that decision
to love God and love others. Brothers and sisters, let's stand and let's go home. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for calling us together. Thank you for the opportunity we have in this day and age to worship here freely, as Brother Paul said earlier. We don't have to worry about people beating down our doors right now. We don't have to worry about uh, using the name of Jesus. Thank you for that, Lord. We pray that the United States of America would always stay free. We'd always have freedom of religion, freedom to worship you and serve you to your glory and honor and fame. But Lord, if it doesn't happen that way, if it doesn't transpire, we ask that you would prepare us as your people to live for you and to glorify you and love one another and glorify you. Send us now into the world as your servants and may you be worshiped by more and more people as the gospel goes forth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.